0: Jesus. Thank you, JR. We are here because he is great. So let's just take a moment of silence just to meditate on those words. How great is our God? God, you are the only thing, the only being that has always been. And we can't wrap our minds around that. How great are you? We can't even wrap our minds around you. You have no beginning. You have no end. Everything else has a beginning and an end. Um, Except for us, If uh, if we know you, we won't have an end either. We get to spend eternity with you. But how great are you? You created everything. You created men and women in your image so that you could love us. Not because you needed anything. You created us so you could love us. And we messed it up with our sin. Um, But you are so great that that did not stop you from loving us. You loved us so much you became one of us because sin had to be dealt with. And our sin was an eternal debt that could only be paid by an eternal being. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So you had to become a man so that you could bleed for us. You are so great you were willing to do that. Your love was so great. How great are you? And Jesus, you won the victory. You are great. You rose again from the dead, claiming victory over sin and death. And now we are free. We are free indeed because of you, Jesus. You are great. We're here because you are great. We love you. Amen. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. My name is Derek Carpenter. Um, Real quick, I wanted to just draw your attention to that wall. Um, There's a couple things on that wall. The first one is the prayer room prayer slash family room. So if you have a baby um, and the baby gets fussy or you need to feed the baby or whatever, or you're just more comfortable in there, that room is there. There's even a Keurig so you can have like your own coffee and you can hear what's going on in there. So we've made that room comfortable. There's toys and things like that. Not for you men, for the, the babies. There's toys in there. I guess if you're into that, you can go build some blocks and listen. But that room is available for you. The other thing on that wall is three key relationships. We at Common Ground believe that we have been designed and made by God for three key relationships. And the first one is up with God. You were made to be in relationship with God. The Bible is very clear, clearly about that. Why were you created? What is your purpose? Your, your purpose ultimately is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And your purpose for eternity, the greatest commandment, he said, is to love God. Everything else comes after that. And so we need to be connecting with God. And then life isn't religion. It's not do's and don'ts. It's a life of relationship where Jesus lives through us. To help you with that, we have, whoa, I just got louder. That was weird. Um, to help you with that, we have these devotionals. Uh, and these devotionals, they're written by Hope Church. That's one of our partner churches down in Las Vegas. These are amazing. These are directly in line with how God is, has called us and led us as a church. But they're very simple. And this will teach you how to spend daily time with Jesus. It, it has a, a few verses that you can read, some ways to think about that, some ways to apply it to your life. So these are in the back. Now, we used to give them away, but, but now they've gone up in price. And so they cost us 12 bucks. So we want you to have them. If you can afford 12 bucks, buy it for 12 bucks. If you can't afford the 12 bucks, we want you to have it anyway, because it is very, very important that you learn how to connect with God. So these are available for you in the back. We just got a new shipment in, so there's plenty of them. Um, And that's the first key relationship is up with God. Then we have in, that's with fellow believers, We do that primarily through groups. Sunday is awesome. This is a great time for us to worship together, to hear from God's word. Uh, We here teach the Bible. We think God speaks through his word, but we also need to connect with one another. But the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together with one another. And so we do that primarily through our, we call them outpost groups because we're here a big group, but then we go into these small groups and we're outposts in the community, connecting with each other and through those groups, reaching the community. And that's the last one, out out. Service, it says on their service is the catalyst of transformation. So we believe that the church is not here for us, primarily. The church exists for those who are not in the church yet. And so our mission, although our purpose is to know God and love God, our mission is to reconcile others to God, to introduce others to God. And so in two weeks, we are going to meet together here We're going to pray, we're going to worship a little bit, and then we're going to go out to the community with bags of groceries. So in two weeks, when you come, bring a bag of groceries. We're going to go, we'll have extra ones. We're going to go door to door knocking and offering groceries and prayer to people. Raise your hand if that's scary. Okay, yes, I agree. It's scary to me too, which is why we do it. It gets us out of our comfort zone to serve people and build relationships uh, to share the gospel. And really just to love. We're not Jesus salesmen. We want to love in his name. So that's why we're here, up, in, and out. And today we are ending our series talking about game plan. Um, if you have your Bible, open it up. We're going to be in First Samuel 16. We'll get there in a few minutes. So that gives you time to look it up. First Samuel 16. If you need a Bible, there's one under you somewhere. Grab it. Um, and in that Bible, it's page 265 is where we're going to be. But we've been talking about God's game plan for our lives. The key to this whole series has been God has a plan for your life. And it starts with you giving your life to him. He has a plan for you, and once you bow the knee and submit to Jesus as Lord, believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, then you enter this path where he has something unique and special for you in your life. He's made you, and so we've gone week after week looking at how we can discover God's plan for our lives, and we looked in Colossians, and it starts with Jesus is our life, That's where it all starts. So we said our our very first week, actually stop looking at the future and asking the question, what's your will for my life? And now focus, Jesus is my life here and now. That's where it starts. And we've been encouraging you to pray the prayer, God, show me your will for my life. And so after we realize Jesus is our life and we do that by connecting with him, that's where these devotionals are helpful, then we can move forward discovering his fingerprints on us, our spiritual gifting, our personalities. By the way, you're not an accident. So there's things about your personality that you might not like. And, you know, I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about who God made you. He made you that way on purpose, oddly enough. Husbands, he he made her that way on purpose. Wives, we are this way because God made us this way. Um, But he made you on purpose with a purpose. Last week, we talked about decision making. Um, We had a stoplight up here. And we had four questions that you go through these four questions to make decisions. Now, if you missed it, it's on the podcast. Uh, You can look it up on iTunes or anywhere. You can also download our app, Common Ground Carson. Uh, Look it up. It's on any app store. You can find it and you can listen to the podcast there. But that one, I had a lot of feedback from last week that it was really helpful. You know, how do we make decisions? We ask these four questions. And I asked, I'm not going to tell you what they are. You should have been here. Um, but you can look it up. You can look it up. It's still online. Um, but you ask these four questions. And if every question you can get a green light, then move forward. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy to move forward in God's will, but it does mean you'll be within his will. But green light, move forward. Yellow light does not mean move faster. It means slow down. Look at what the Bible says. Get some wise biblical counsel from, from wise godly people. Um, and then if you have a red light, it means... Don't force it. Um, stop. So that was last week, making decisions. This week, I wanted to end with this because some of you may have listened to this series um, with one ear, thinking it doesn't really apply to you. For whatever reason, you, you may be sitting there thinking, okay, God may have a plan for him or her, but not me, because you don't know my past, you don't know the sin. That I've done. You don't know my current habits and addictions. I'm too young. Maybe maybe that's one. God doesn't have a plan for me yet because I'm too young. I'm I'm still in junior high or elementary school um, and I like to write on my hand during service. Um, (laughs) That's okay. Keep writing on your hand. (laughs) You may think you're too old. This would have been a great message 20 years ago, but now it's too late. That's what I want to talk about today. For those of us that go, maybe somebody else, but not me, this is for you. Uh, The Super Bowl, a couple weeks ago. Arguably the greatest Super Bowl ever played. (sniffs) Um, I was loving it at halftime. At halftime, I was ecstatic because the Atlanta Falcons were up 21 to 3. It was great. I don't like the Patriots. Um, And if you do, you're probably not saved. But... So I was, I was loving halftime because the Falcons were whooping them. And even, you know, looking online, maybe you're a Google person. That's what's awesome. We're sitting there watching and we can get any stat we want just on Google. Uh, nobody has ever come back from that much of a de- deficit in a Super Bowl. So, I mean, it was guaranteed Atlanta Falcons were going to win. The game went into, if you haven't seen it, it went into overtime. And the Patriots won in overtime. They didn't give up. I mean, it was all odds were against them and they pulled it out. I think kind of like that, we can be feeling like we're in the fourth quarter. That's the title of today's message. We're in the fourth quarter, and we're down by 20, and there's no hope. But Tom Brady proved there is. But it's the same with us. It's the same with us regardless of age, regardless of passing, regardless of current sin. Listen, you may be sitting here. You may come every week because you think God likes you more when you do, or you come because your spouse makes you or your mom or dad makes you. And you may think this doesn't apply because you don't know my current struggles. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter. That's what we're gonna look at. It doesn't matter. And here's our big problem. If you're a note taker, this is in your notes and you can do the notes on the app. Our problem is that we think God thinks about us the way we think about us. Think about that. We think God thinks about us the way we think about us. If I ask you what God thinks about you you'll probably tell me what you think about you and then attribute that to God. Isn't that right? If, if uh, maybe you've been consistent at church, you're reading your Bible regularly, you think God is happy with you right now. Maybe you've been struggling with sin. Uh, maybe you've never really gone all in with Jesus Christ and you think God thinks you're not really worth it. Maybe you think That God thinks that he can't do much through you because you're not real talented. uh, You don't have a lot going for you. But really, that's just you thinking that about you, isn't it? Our problem is that we think God thinks about us the way we think about us. You know, for me, that's one of the things for me. If I was God and I was looking at me, and I have struggled with this, I I have a tendency to start, I get really excited, I start projects but I don't finish them very well. If you come to my house and you walk around, you're like, hey, that ha- room is almost painted all the way. Um, or you'll go back, and there's a shed that's almost done. Um, you know, I'll finish it everywhere you can see, but if you look at the back, it's like, you didn't finish that. Because for me, I get going on something and then I get to the finishing stages and it's boring. And so I wanna go on to something else. And so for me though, I think of significant projects for the kingdom. And I think God would look at me and go, Derek, I can't use you to do it because you just don't finish things, (laughs) you know? But God doesn't look at me that way. That's the way I look at me, and that's an honest weakness that I have, but God doesn't look at me that way. Here's another one. Follow this. What you think God thinks when God thinks about you will determine what you think when you think about God. Uh Uh-huh, confusing. (laughs) Think about this. (laughs) That's why it's up there. What you think God thinks when God thinks about you will determine what you think when you think about God. So when you think about God, what do you think? Is he a loving God? Is he judgmental? A lot of that is gonna be based on what you think he's thinking about you. And unfortunately, a lot of times we think of God like our, our earthly father, and our earthly fathers weren't perfect, right? Those of us who are fathers, we're not perfect. And so sometimes we have some misconceptions about God because of what we understand or or what we think God might be like. You may think God only uses gifted people, and you're not gifted enough. Here's this big point I want to make. When God, we think God takes his cue about us from us, which is ridiculous, isn't it? It's crazy to think that God takes his cue about us from us, What if we're wrong? What if God doesn't look at you the way you think God looks at you? What if God doesn't look at you the way you look at you? You remember when uh, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray? How did he begin? You remember the first two words? Our Father. Our Father. Which, thinking about God as a father, do you realize that God is a father? And how does a father look at his children? A good father. How does a father look at his children? A good father, again. We look at our kids full of potential, don't we? Dads, moms too. Don't you see what your kids could be? Don't you see their strengths? Don't you want to be quick to forgive their weaknesses and help them overcome them? Guess what? I've got four kids. I know their weaknesses very well. But what I love most about my kids is not their weakness. I don't, I don't want to dwell on that. But their strengths, the things they're good at. Isn't that the way you look at your kids? What if God looks at you that way? What if God looks at you like you're his son or his daughter full of potential and he loves you regardless? What if? Could you just switch it? Could you picture God that way as a loving father who only has good thoughts about you? What if God views you as his son or daughter full of potential regardless of your past your present, or what you think of you. Here's the analogy that came to mind for me as I was thinking about this. If you ever played baseball or you've gone to a little league baseball game, here's what you'll see. Kids will get up to bat a lot of times and they'll get up. They're not softball. Caleb played softball a couple years ago. So the kid gets up to bat and you know what voice they hear most of all when they're up to bat? Moms or dads. They don't hear the coach's voice. Mom, dad, if you're yelling, guess what? The kid hears you, not even the coach. And sometimes you'll see this, swing and whiff, and the kid looks straight over at mom and dad. What's mom, what are mom and dad gonna say? What are they, they care what mom and dad think. And sometimes mom and dad have trained their kid that their worth is in how well they do. A good mom and dad, what happens when they whiff? That's okay, good swing, try again. What's a bad mom and dad do? And and maybe some of us have struggled with this. We get down on our kids, okay, right? Kid strikes out and comes over and mom, I can't believe you just did that. (laughs) Haven't you practiced harder than that, you know? And you've seen this and it breaks your heart, doesn't it? When you see mom and dad get on a little kid like that. And so sometimes we think that might be the way God is. When we with it, God is like, God, I can't believe you with it again. But no, God is the good parent in that situation. The one that when you strike out for the fifth time in the row, you come out and he goes, hey, good effort next time next time? Because good mom and dad, we look at next time, right? What if God looked at us that way as a good father? You know, I don't know all of your stories, but I know some of your stories, and I know some of you well, and I know some of you struggle with this like I do. I know some of you don't understand your potential because some of you, I see it in you, and you don't see it in you, and I'm just human. God knows. God sees our potential. Turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel 16. First Samuel 16. We are going to look at God's plan for his kingdom. Now, what happened? This is, we're looking at Israel here. This was God's chosen nation. God's plan was that he would be their king. That was his initial plan, was that he would be their king. And so there were many, many years where they had no king. They had prophets. They had people who would, who would defend them and stick up for them and lead them. Um, but they didn't have a king. And so the nation said, God, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. So God gave them a king. You've heard of their first king, Saul. Saul was chosen because he was tall, good looking, big, strong. He was ahead above the rest. He looked like a king. So God gave him the king they wanted. Saul, if you know much about the Old Testament, Saul went away from God. Saul decided he wanted to please men and women more than he wanted to please God. And so he went his own way. And so here in 1 Samuel, we're going to see God anoint a new king. He's going to send his prophet, Samuel, to anoint a new king. This time, God is going to choose his way. And we're going to learn a lot. So look with me, 1 Samuel, I'm just going to read 16, 1 through 5 to begin with. The Lord said to Samuel, and Samuel's a prophet, how long will you grieve over Saul? Samuel is the one who had anointed Saul as king. He said, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling. Look at this. They knew he's a prophet. And so he spoke for God. And if this prophet who speaks for God comes into your town, you're like, why are you here? Are we going to live through this day? So they come trembling. They said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. You just see that, okay, I come peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So the prophet of God goes to Bethlehem. He walks into town. The elders are freaking out. He says, no, I'm here peaceably. Let's go sacrifice. Okay, so the elders of the town are going with him to the sacrifice. Then he invites Jesse and all his sons, this man, just a normal guy, and all his sons. Now, Samuel here is obeying God. He doesn't know who God is going to anoint. You see that? God says, go, the one that I show you while you're there, he's the one I want you to anoint, king. So he brings Jesse, and it looks like Jesse has an idea of what's going on. So Jesse uh, brings his sons to this this meal and this sacrifice. First Samuel 16, verse 6. When they came... He looked on Eliab. So this is the oldest son. He looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So here comes the oldest of Jesse's sons walking across. And he says, this is the one that God's gonna choose. Samuel thinks that. This is the one that God's gonna choose. Verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So look at this. Samuel is still thinking in human terms. He's thinking about when they anointed Saul. Saul was big. Saul was strong. Saul was a manly man. And here he sees a lie coming along. He's like, this is God's anointed. But God teaches Samuel and us a lesson here. He said, I don't view people the way you view people. The way you look at other people, God doesn't look at them that way. That's often been a prayer for me. God, let me see people the way you see people. God says, I don't view the way you view. Isaiah 55, nine, great verse to memorize. It says, for as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you get that? God doesn't think the way you think. (laughs) God doesn't think the way I think. God doesn't view people the way I view people. God doesn't view me the way I view me. God does not measure our potential the way we do. I want us to understand this. This is our big point today. Repeat this after me. God does not see as man sees awesome. So now we get it. Now, God does not see me as I see me. God does not see me as I see me. Do you get that? God looks at you differently. Who does God use in Scripture? I want you to, here's a a homework assignment. Go through the Bible and find good people. (laughs) Find good people that God uses. Perfect people. You won't. You won't. You read through the Bible and look at who God uses. It's, it's interesting. I wouldn't do it the way God did it, but God doesn't do things the way I do things. Who did God use? Remember when God wanted to make a nation for himself, who did he call? Man called Abraham. His family were not followers of Yahweh. They weren't followers of the one true God. So God calls Abraham and he, he sends him out. Who was Abraham? He was an old man, too old to have kids. And God uses him to make a nation. Abraham was an insecure man. He was a liar. You read through the stories of Abraham and you're like, I would not have chosen Abraham. He's not real confident. He doesn't seem to trust God real well. But yet later we learn he he was a man of faith. You and I would not have chosen Abraham, but Abraham was faithful and obedient and God used him. Then later, remember when the nation of Israel was brought into slavery? Who did God choose to set them free? Moses. Another old man, hmm, age doesn't seem to matter. An old man, and if you remember the story, he's uh, 80 years old. Yeah, he's 80 years old. And he's out there in the burning bush, and he goes before the burning bush. God says, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And God starts talking to Moses. And Moses just has excuse after excuse of why God can't use him. Oh, you don't know who I am. You know, what do I say when I go? Who am I? Who are they? Who are you? You know, he has all these questions. And God says, no, I want you to go. You're going to speak to the elders. Then you're going to go speak to Pharaoh. Well, Moses had a problem. Probably he stuttered. He talked about his tongue. He had a swollen tongue. So here's Moses who stutters and God is sending him to be his speaker. Weird. And so Moses is, you know, he's like, please don't send me. I can't talk well. And God says, no, go. This is who God chose. An old man who couldn't speak well, Moses. By the way, he was a murderer. And he was also insecure. This is who God used. Talent is not an issue. I want you to hear that one. That's a big one for me. Talent is not an issue. Age is not an issue. For me, this is one of the things, you know, here's a glimpse into me, that I've struggled with my whole life. I'm about average in everything. Average. I've always been average. Average athlete. Average student. Average. And I look at these people. I remember one guy, all growing up elementary school. We we were in kindergarten together. All growing up, he got straight A's. Didn't even have to work at it. We'd go play sports. He was always the best on the field. Didn't even have to work at it. And here I am working as hard as I could. And the best I could do playing basketball, we used basketball. The best I could do is work really hard with no skill. (laughs) So I fouled out a lot. But here's this guy, Joe, who was good at everything. But here's the thing. Talent is not an issue. God will use who he wants to use regardless of talent. Remember a guy named Paul in the New Testament? His name was Saul. He was a murderer also. He's the one, when the church first began, there was a man named Stephen, who was a deacon of the, of the early church in, in Jerusalem. Stephen is stoned. He's the first martyr, the first person killed, and the person standing there in approval, holding everybody's coats and handing out the rocks, was this guy Saul. (laughs) So they'd come, they'd set down their jacket, and he's like, yeah, take this rock, take this. And they killed Stephen while Paul, Saul, looked on. Saul meets God, God Jesus. Jesus changes his name to Paul. Paul goes on to write most of the New Testament. Paul goes on to be the greatest missionary the world has probably ever seen. That's Paul. God doesn't see the way we see. I would not have chosen Paul. You read in Acts, you see when Paul Comes to know Christ, he starts going out and teaching. The Christians are scared of him. The the people who are followers of Jesus, they know who he is. They won't go near him until God speaks to him and and brings them together. But this is who God chose to use. Remember Jesus' disciples. Who were his disciples? Were they the elite? Were they the talented and the gifted and the awesome people? One of them, Matthew, was a tax collector. They were considered traitors. A tax collector served Rome and went to his, his fellow Jews and collected taxes. And the way that the tax collector made their money was if you owed you know, 50 bucks, he'd charge you 100 and he'd pocket the 50. So he was a thief and a traitor and God chose him and he wrote the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. Another one was a zealot. One of his disciples was a zealot. You know what a zealot was? It was a first century terrorist. <laughs> they were somebody who, uh, they were Jews And they were zealous for God, but yet they didn't really follow God's way. And they would go in and they would fight and they would kill. Uh, They would put these raids in and attack Romans. One of his disciples was a zealot. Many of them were fishermen. They smelled like fish all the time. Uneducated. This is who God chose. So what about you? God doesn't look at you the way you look at you. God sees your potential and he sees my potential just like the disciples he chose. Your usefulness has far less to do with what you've done than it does with what you are willing to let God do in and through you. Here's the key. Look at that. Your usefulness has far less to do with what you've done, and let me add to that, your your gifts, your abilities, your age, any of that, than it does with what you are willing to do, or really willing to let God do in and through you. Who does God use? He uses available people. That's who God uses. Not the gifted, not the talented, not the perfectly aged. He uses those available. That's who God uses. Now, look back at our passage, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, the second half. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. God isn't thwarted by your past, He's only thwarted by your availability. Now look at verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And now he speeds up a little bit. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are these, are all your sons here? So, picture the scene. Jesse brings each of his sons one by one before Samuel. He's like, Nope, not that one, not that one, not that one. And at the end, he's like, Okay, uh, I'm confused. Are these all your sons? There was one more. We've talked about him in this series. There was one more, David. They had forgotten about him. He was so insignificant, his father and his brothers forgot about him. He's not even worth going to get to be part of this. And so, in verse, we're still in verse. 9, 10, 11. Verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward and Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. God chose the youngest. He was ruddy, red-haired. You know, picture him, probably a junior higher, maybe 13, 14 years old. And God chose him above all others. God doesn't look at us the way we look at us. Remember in the book of Isaiah, when God says, Man, look at these people, who will I send? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. It's a famous line, Here I am, send me. Missionaries have been called with that same passage. They read that and they go, God wants to save people. Who am I going to send? Here I am, send me. God uses people who are available. Like Isaiah, like Paul, like Moses, like Abraham, like you and I. Are we available? Are we available? Look at David. You know, the stories go on about David's life. Was David perfect? Not even close. You know, I've been reading through First and Second Samuel in my private reading time. And looking at David, the mistakes he made were huge. Murder, adultery. And then after that, you think he'd figure it out and he, he, he has a census taken. And he knew he wasn't supposed to. And even the commander of his army says, don't do this, David. And he does it and 70,000 people die in Israel, because of his mistake, David was far from perfect. But what does it always talk about his heart in Scripture? David was a man after God's heart, and so God could use him. Are you a man or a woman after God's heart? I, I want God to say that of me. I wish I could hear what God says to me to his angels. <laughs> I, I just want to hear that. You know what? Derek is a man after my own heart. He's not perfect. He's not very talented, but he's available because he's a man after my own heart. And what, about you? What, if God, what would God say about you as your father, full of potential? He knows. You'll ask, how do I know? How do I know that God wants to use you? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came for you. For some reason, the Bible's really clear. You know, and there's some of this that we don't get. But the Bible's clear that God chose you and I to be part of his family. If by faith you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, God chose you, not because of anything you have done. The Bible's very, very clear. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So before you had done anything worthwhile, God looked at you and said, I choose you. And you are worth me coming to die for. Jesus, the Son of God, came 2,000 years ago. He walked the earth for about 30 years. And then he died on the cross. He bled and died because you're worth it. Because you're worth it. Not because of your talent. Not because of your giftedness. Because he chose to love you. So guess what? You need to view you that way. You were worth it. You were worth it. Jesus came. Jesus gave his life for you. That's the gospel. That's what we want to talk about all the time. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. And now... Now that I'm saved, it's not about me doing the best I can do for him. It's still him doing it through me. It's still all about Jesus. It's still always for me, always go back, and I hope for you too, to what Jesus did on the cross. And now his life in and through me. God doesn't look at you the way I look at you. God doesn't look at me the way I look at me. So the way I was thinking about this, we have a tendency to look at at maturity um, with knowledge. So the more I know about the Bible, the more mature I am. Yet, that's clearly not true. God wants to use us. And so I was thinking about a baseball mitt or a softball mitt. And what happens when you, when you buy a softball mitt? It's all hard and, and, and stiff. And it needs to get broken in, right? And so we put a ball in it and rubber band around it. We put it in the oven for some reason and oil it. You do all these things to break it in. Now, you and I are kind of like this baseball mitt. But we have a tendency to think, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. You don't know my sin. And so we want to clean ourselves up thinking that then God can use us. Do you struggle with this? Am I the only one that you think, okay, I have this sin or this sin. And once I get better at these, then God can use me. And maybe now you're here. That's great. But maybe you think I can't really get involved with church yet. I'm too dirty. I need to clean myself up a little bit and then God can use me. But yet that's not the way it works. So think of what makes a baseball mitt get worth using, get broken in use, right? The more you use a mitt, the better it gets. When I, uh, When I moved out, my dad gave me his old softball mitt. He had had that mitt for I don't know how many years, 20, 30 years. He had had that mitt for a long time, and it was just perfect. I mean, if I got that mitt within four feet of the ball, it was like, it just went in. Awesome mitt, you know? You didn't even have to squeeze. The ball touches it, the mitt wraps around it, the dog chewed up that mitt. That dog is dead. But that that mit, that mitt had been used and used and used and used until the point where it was it was perfect, it was usable, and so it takes use, doesn't it here's my, here's my point. Are you available to be used? The more you just say, "I'm available, use me," the more he will use you, and the more malleable you 'll be. The more faith you'll have, the more usefulness you'll find yourself having the more fruit will come out in your life if you're available to be used. Rather than this, I need to know more before I I hear this one all the time. I struggle with this one. I can't go share my faith cuz they're going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to. In 2 weeks, we're going to go door to door. I can't do that because what if they ask me something I can't answer? Awesome. <laughs> then you be honest and you get used and you realize, here's what we did this last year this going door to door. And here's what happened with quite a few people shared it with me afterward. Some, I, scared, I was scared to death. Some, I didn't want to go, but he made me go or whatever. And some people, it, it rarely happens to me. It always happens to other people. They got invited in and they got to have conversations with people. Relationships were formed. People were prayed for. People opened up. There were tears shed. Things happened because people were willing to be available. And all they did was this. You want some groceries? <laughs> Can we pray for you? That was it. The more we're available, the more God will use us. And it has nothing to do with your abilities, your gifting, your sin or lack of sin. Are we beating this enough? (laughs) Are we getting the point? So here's our application. Offer him everything. Give him the stuff you think are obstacles. Because God doesn't view you the way you view you. What are those things that you think make you not usable? give those to him. Jesus already took care of it on the cross, by the way. The victory is already won. It's kind of like like you watched the end of the football game, you know, now that we have Tivo, you record the game and you know the end score, but you haven't actually watched the game, so you don't know how the plays go. And so you watch the game knowing the end score. That's our life. Do you know that? We know the end score. We win. You win. Jesus died for you. You are righteous because he gave you his righteousness. We will spend eternity with him. And now We're just going through the plays. Are we available for him to use to bring that to others? Are we available for him to use in the lives of each other? All it takes is us being available. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you that you don't view me the way I view me. Thank you, Jesus, that you redeemed me. You have this this way of doing that. You have this way of taking things that are broken and healing them. Jesus, you are all about reconciliation. You're not looking for good people. You're looking for broken people. And I thank you for that. Thank you that you don't choose us based on our ability. Thank you that I don't have to clean myself up. God, we we often struggle with that. We have doubts. We have all these things that keep us from being used. But thank you that, that you've asked us just to come. And you did all the work, Jesus, on the cross. And all we have to do is submit to you. All we have to do is bow to you and you'll handle the rest. Lord Jesus, I'm excited as I think about what if, what if everybody in this room was truly available to you? What if we really set our doubts aside? What if we really set our sin aside? And all those things we think get in the way, and we just came and bowed to you and let you work through us. What could you do in Carson City? What could you do in our families? Lord Jesus Christ, let us see you work. Please, we love you. We're here for you. Be glorified as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.